My name's Ryan. I'm the kids and family pastor here at the church, and we're on week three of our series called Tough Questions. This has been a lot of fun. Three weeks ago, Pastor Nate kicked it off, and he jumped into the Bible. And the question that he was talking about was, why and how is the Bible still relevant today? It was a great conversation that this ancient text that's thousands of years old is still with us today, impacting us and transforming lives. Last week, Pastor Mike talked about how Jesus really is the other way, how Jesus is above other gods. And if you've missed those last two messages, go online, northchurch.net. They're on there. They are great, great messages from those two guys. We're going to wrap it up today in a conversation about where is God in our suffering. Now, this is kind of an old question. It's been asked in a variety of different ways. Why does God let bad things happen? Why is pain part of this human experience here? And we're going to look at some of those things today. That's the conversation we're going to have today. Recently, I was reading in 1 Kings, and there's this awesome story in there about this guy named Elijah. Now, Elijah is totally sold out for God. He's got this prophetic connection to the Lord. God uses Elijah to predict a horrible drought that's coming. He uses Elijah to raise a child from the dead. He even asks Elijah to go into hiding and to trust him that he's going to use birds to feed him. And lo and behold, the ravens come and they feed Elijah. This guy's totally sold out for God, totally connected to God. It's a great story. It's 1 Kings 17, 18, and 19. And I was reading it, getting ready for this message today, and a lot of the things that happened there resonated with me. So here's a little setting for this, for this story there. So Elijah is in this land, and there are other prophets there, and they're worshiping this false god named Baal. And Elijah is really kind of poking at these guys. He's making fun of these guys. He's saying, hey, how come, why don't you just go have a, uh, a little altar made and then ask for your God to create fire to come and burn your offering. So these other prophets, they build an altar, right? They're, they're setting things up here and they're praying to their God. Who knows what they're saying? I don't want to add too much creative license here. We don't have that much info. But they're praying to their God and, of course, nothing's happening. Now, I'm eye-rolling as I'm reading this, and I'm cracking up because Elijah starts making fun of these guys. He says this. He says, cry aloud, for he is a god. Either he's musing, or else he's off relieving himself, or he's on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. Now, I'm cracking up because Elijah's making fun of these guys, and they get mad. They're over here doing their little song and their dance, and nothing happens. So they kick over the altar, and they kind of storm off in disgust and embarrassment. And then Elijah comes back, and he says, okay, let me show you guys what's going on here. He rebuilds the town. He rebuilds the altar. He gets stuff going. He prays, and God brings the fire. Of course he does. Right? So now all these other prophets here, they drop down, they start worshiping the same God that Elijah's worshiping, and I don't want to sugarcoat this. Prophets killed each other with startling frequency back in the day, okay? And so Elijah kills all of these other prophets, and that information gets to the queen of the day. Her name's Jezebel, she's married to King Ahab, and they're horrible people. Absolutely awful people. They're murderous. They're denying God at every possible turn. And they send a message. Jezebel sends a message to Elijah. She says this. So may the gods do to me more 
And also, if I do not make your life as one of them by this time tomorrow. So she's saying, because you killed our prophets, I'm going to make sure that you're dead by this time tomorrow. And the text continues on. Then he, Elijah, was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. So Elijah's outed by the king and the queen. They're out to get him. And remember, Elijah's got this tremendous connection to God. He's got this one-on-one -on -one with the Lord. God's used him for amazing things. And then the text says this. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. That's a really, really big turn. For one day before, you're totally sold out, everything's good, you're trusting God to bring you food with birds, to you're running for your life for one day, and you're saying, that's it, God, take it away. Take away the pain, take it away the suffering, just end it. And I think we can see a lot of information there. I think that we see that sudden tragedy hits and it changes how you feel about everything. Ever happened to you? Everything's fine. Everything's dandy. Something bad happens and your world vaporizes. It's happened to me. I'm sure it's happened to so many of you. Now, of course, I didn't have the maturity that Elijah did in that moment there. But I think that what we can see there is that things come crumbling down. So suffering comes in many forms. Sudden hardship, pain, are, and uh, distress are the ingredients for a more formal definition. But pain and suffering show up in a bunch of varieties of ways as well. Physical pain, obviously, but how about job loss, illness, a death in the family, financial hardship, poverty, strife, a sick child? And the list goes on and on. Ten years ago, Lindsay and I were in Colorado Springs, and, and she got sick. She got really, really sick. We had recently become churchgoers again. I was rebuilding my relationship with the Lord, and she got sick. She had struggled with insomnia most of her teenage life and all of her adult life, and she got really sick. I was mad at God. Now, if you know anything about insomnia, insomnia is absolutely brutal on the mind and the body and the spirit. Lindsay was really sick. She was in the hospital. I didn't have the maturity that Elijah did and was crying out to God saying, hey, help me. I was saying, no, God, how dare you do this? What kind of a God allows his children to suffer? What kind of a God allows his children to watch their family suffer and they don't have anything to do about it? I was really, really upset with God. I certainly didn't have a, a biblical understanding of suffering. I didn't have any way of really approaching it that was helpful for me. And so I started asking the questions of, what good is the pain for? What good is suffering? Suffering is part of the human experience, and it's most simply understood as something that's very complicated. When I was younger in my faith, when I was younger in my faith, I thought that being a Christian meant that life would be easier. That I wouldn't have as much pain 
if I was a not if I was a non-Christian. I thought that being a Christian meant that God would have favor on me and for my comfort of my life. And there was this catchphrase. I'm sure some of us have heard this before. Have you ever heard this one before? God won't give you more than you can handle. You guys ever hear that one? Yeah. Absolutely. That's a, a powerful, comforting, pleasant idea that I have to pop this bubble today. I'm so sorry. Typically comes from a misunderstood reading of 1 Corinthians 10, which says, which says, No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. You see that? It's sin to be able to flee from, temptation to avoid. It's not pain and suffering to be free from. Those are two very big and very separate conversations, and we're going to talk about the suffering side of things today. Now, when I heard that, when I was taught that, I was bothered by it. I was thinking, wait, wait, hold, okay, hold on a second. Why does a loving God let pain happen then? I thought that God wouldn't give me more than I could handle. But I misunderstood what the Bible was talking about. And so I'm going back to the Bible. I've kind of got these new glasses on of, okay, maybe suffering's part of this journey. And then you go back to the scripture and you look at it and suffering jumps out of the Bible. It jumps right on you. How about the story of Job and the suffering that he encountered? David lost his firstborn son. Daniel watched his friends get thrown into a furnace and got thrown into a fire and got thrown into a, a den of lions. How about the sobering Google search of how the disciples died? There's banishings, there's stonings, there's burnings. Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't think he was worthy to die the same way that his savior did. John Mark drugged behind a carriage in Alexandria on the cobblestone streets until he was dead. Paul gives us a bunch of accounts of suffering. He tells us this story. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false believers. Suffering, obviously, is part of the Christian journey. Have you thought about that before? Not how to avoid suffering but how to suffer in a God-honoring way. When you explore these accounts of suffering more and more, we begin to see an important lesson comes to the surface, that when pain shows up, that when suffering begins, we shouldn't be asking the question, God screwed up, God made a mistake. We shouldn't be wondering if God's no longer on the throne. No, we should be asking the question, God, how can I suffer in a way that's honoring to you? So we've seen that suffering isn't something that we're able to avoid. If anything, we can expect suffering to be part of our journey. I would even argue this. As a Christian, you might experience more suffering because you are a follower of Christ. So why suffer? What does it do? What's the point of pain? 
I heard a Bible teacher once talk about this condition called SEPA. It stands for Congenital Insensitivity to Pain with Atheroidosis. It's a bizarre condition where you don't feel pain, you don't feel hot, you don't feel cold. And with that brief description there, doesn't it feel nice? Ladies, wouldn't it nice to not, to not be cold anymore, right? If you were here for first service, it was quite chilly this last service out there, right? We weren't ready for the cold yet. How about relief from pain? How about to be relieved from that migraine? How about to be relieved from that back pain? How about chronic pain? There are some in the room right now that have an illness that manifests chronic pain, and my heart absolutely breaks for you. My limited, and I'm so thankful for that, my limited experience with pain, I've even wanted to cry out for relief before. Even, even just the burden of a broken toe is one of those things where it's like, oh my gosh, God, take away the pain. A little bit of SEPA sounds good right now, right? But SEPA, those that have SEPA live a very different and a very strange life. You see, they can go on a hike in the woods, they can cut their ankle on a log, they can get an infection and die and have never felt anything more than just a little pressure. You see, pain is a tool. Pain has a utility there. Physical pain, of course, tells you when something's wrong, tells you when you have to adjust, when you have to react to something. The same thing's true with mental pain, with spiritual pain. It's a tool that lets us know that something needs to be adjusted. Now, when we experience pain, we can respond and take care of our bodies and our minds and our souls. When pain is present, it's a clue to also adjust further if needed. And sometimes suffering is a result of personal decisions. Sometimes it's a result of something that you had nothing to do with, and it's extremely unfair. We see examples in scripture frequently of several different ways pain and suffering manifest, whether it be emotional pain, whether it be spiritual pain, and of course, physical pain. And we look to God to relieve us from that pain. Oh, God, take away this hurt. And I seem to always forget this one important reality. I don't know why, but whenever the pain shows up, I forget this. And I get farther and farther away from it, but then all of a sudden it hits me that Jesus Christ came and he died and suffered before me and that he suffered for me and that God used suffering to save all of mankind. Big wake-up call. It's a big truth that whenever I go back to it, I realize that God is with us in our suffering. So we've looked at suffering as part of the Christian walk. We see that suffering is no stranger to scripture and that Jesus suffered before us and that he's with us right now in our suffering. There are a few biblical ideas about how to suffer well, and that sounds strange, doesn't it? How to suffer well. I wanted to share with you some biblical principles of suffering. You see, suffering is not senseless. Suffering is character forming. A couple of months ago, we talked about hope, and we used this passage and talked about the middle and the end. Now we want to look at it again and look at it from the beginning. In Romans, it says this, not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 
And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Suffering and rejoicing in our suffering, it appears so. Principle number one, turn to God during times of suffering. Remember earlier we learned that Paul was beaten and he was shipwrecked and so he's no stranger to suffering. We can learn a lot from Paul and how to embrace suffering. Paul and Silas were on a journey to spread the news of Jesus, and they got arrested. Paul had done a simple exorcism on the road, and that caught the attention of the local authorities, and they were thrown into prison. It says this in the text. The crowd joined in the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners listened to them. Okay, you're a follower of Jesus, you're traveling on the road. You're praising his name. You're spreading the good news. And because of that, you get arrested. You get thrown into prison. You get beaten. And then you start singing worship songs. These guys have a level of spiritual maturity that's just mind-blowing to me. But what we can learn there is they go to God during their suffering. And then it continues to say this. Suddenly, there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. Now that's what I'm talking about. You get in trouble, a little bit of pain shows up, you do a song and a dance, and poof, Jesus shows up and saves the day. Not quite. Remember, suffering is character producing. What kind of character? Christ-like character. And there's a reason for this. In Romans, it says this, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. You see, God uses pain and suffering to create Christ-like character. Now, the rest of the story for Paul and Silas is wonderful. They get broken out of jail, and all of a sudden the jailer shows up and starts uh, getting involved in the conversation here. And it says this, the jailer called for the lights, rushed in, and fell, trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They replied, believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all of the others of his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. Then immediately, he and all of his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. Suffering appears to play a big part of people's journey. God used Paul and Silas' suffering for his good. Now, I totally like how Paul and Silas 
They go to God and they're suffering and then God shows up and it's obvious for them to look back at that situation and say, wow, God used that pain and suffering in a tremendous way. And I hope that that's how suffering is something that I continue to experience is kind of this Paul and Silas. But there's a different side to this coin here. There's a different way that suffering seems to show up. And this is principle number two. Embrace suffering. Now, this is important. I'm not saying run to suffering. I'm not saying look forward to suffering. But I am suggesting an idea that when suffering comes, to receive it with a heart of expectancy that God's presence will be with you. You see, we see Jesus in the Bible, just before he's arrested, he's in the garden the night before he's arrested and then sent to the cross, and then this happens. Jesus, it says this, Jesus fell with his face on the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. You see that Jesus is asking if it's possible for him to be able to avoid the suffering. We see Jesus asking to be relieved from the onset of pain to come. And then Jesus comes back for a second time, and he says this, My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now, I love that. I love seeing how Jesus, he, he goes to God, he prays for relief from the suffering to come, but he also says, even if I must suffer, if it's for your good and your will, Lord, it will be done. I will enter into the suffering. And shortly after that, Jesus was arrested, he was imprisoned, he was beaten, and he was murdered. It's a very, very different experience of suffering than what Paul and Silas went through. Very different situations. You see, those three guys, Paul, Silas, and Jesus, they were all willing to enter into the suffering. They were all willing to end up in a place of pain and hardship and discomfort, regardless of the outcome. And that's the second principle, is to embrace suffering when it comes. We see Paul and Silas singing and praying hymns. We see Jesus saying, your will be done. Principle number three. Suffering and rejoicing in community. I have rejoicing in parentheses there because the conversation is about suffering today. But we suffer and we rejoice together. It says this in Corinthians. But that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. You know, here at North Church, we frequently talk about the importance of healthy community. The scriptures are full of people doing life together, going through the pain together, going through the celebrations together. There's a thread that runs through scripture that we do life together. In Romans 12, it says, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. Suffering isn't something you're supposed to do alone. 
you know, personally for me, I love that idea of when the pain comes, there's a community of people that can enter into the pain with me. God may use you that way. There might be a community that you're part of where suffering in somebody's life shows up and you get the opportunity to go on that journey with them. The opposite is also true. You may find yourself in a position where you need help because pain and suffering has shown up and you don't have to be alone. You can be with those that love Jesus and that love you. There's something powerful about suffering in a community together. And here at North Church, we do life together. We celebrate together. We weep together because that's what we see in the Bible. When Lindsay was sick, I was mad at God. And I felt like Elijah did. Right? Elijah wanted relief. He wanted, he wanted to be free from his suffering. But he had this connection to the Lord. I didn't have that. I was still growing in my faith towards God. I was mad at God. I was yelling at God. And it was that moment in my life where I got the chance to start seeing how these principles of suffering come together. And that's what we're talking about today is how we suffer in a God-honoring way. Lindsay was sick. She was in the hospital. And this community of people from our church surrounded Lindsay and I. They entered into our suffering with us. And we suffered together. It was beautiful. I got the chance to experience community in a way that I never had before. I didn't have to show them just the good things in my life. I didn't show them just how good things were happening. I got the chance to be vulnerable and share my pain with them. And that is that third principle. I learned that through that suffering with Lindsay in the hospital. I also learned one of the other principles because they showed me to go to God during my suffering as opposed to going to Google, as opposed to going to other things to help numb the pain. I was invited to enter into the pain and to find God there with me. And then only now am I able to see afterwards that I had this Paul and Silas experience of suffering. Lindsay was miraculously healed. She was out of the hospital faster than people are supposed to be. She had a full recovery. Doctors' minds were blown away. And God showed up. I had this Paul and Silas experience of suffering where the pain was there. Other people showed me to suffer in community and to go to God. And God showed up in a big way. And I'm so thankful for that experience of suffering. Paul and Silas and Jesus. Those three different guys, two different ideas of how to enter into our suffering. We're going we're gonna to pray in just a moment for us in the room that are going through some experience of suffering. And I was talking to Pastor Mike earlier this week, and I said, how do we pray for every single person in the room and their unique type of suffering that they may have at the moment or might be facing them? He didn't have a good idea. And so I prayed and I was talking to God and God told me, he put on my heart that there were really two different types of suffering that 
he wanted me to pray for some of us in the room that we might be experiencing today. First one, is anybody that's experiencing physical pain? Physical pain is distracting from life. It's hard for life. It, it keeps us from doing things. It keeps us from growing in our career. It keeps us from experiencing things with our family. And it can be detrimental. So I want to pray for those right now that are experiencing physical pain. God, we love you. We thank you. We come to you right now with just open hearts, but we're hurting. We're in pain, God. Lord, I'm, I'm tired of the utility of pain. There's nothing left for me to change, God. But Lord, I want to come to you and I want to invite you into this pain with me. I know that you're with me. God, you are for me. Lord, I pray for my brothers and my sisters out here right now that are experiencing physical pain. I pray that you give them relief. I pray that you give them miraculous healing. We don't want to get in the way of miracles, Lord. And God, I also pray that you can give those that are experiencing pain right now a heart of expectancy of your presence in their life, that you are there with them during the pain, and that you suffered for us and you suffered before us. Lord, I pray that the pain goes away, and I pray that during the pain, we can turn to you. Lord, next I want to, pay, I want to pray for those that are experiencing spiritual pain that have a hard time trusting you, that are far from you or are fleeing from you, God, because we expected you to do something and you didn't. Because we thought you would do something in a different way and the pain is still there. God, this can happen in so many ways, but Lord, I pray for those out there right now that are experiencing spiritual pain, that are having a hard time trusting you, that are having a hard time inviting you into their pain, or those that are even mad at you right now because why is there pain, God? Why does it hurt? Lord, I pray for those right now that are experiencing spiritual pain that our hearts can soften. Lord, I pray that we can trust you. That we can bring you back into this experience, God. And Lord, we're expecting you to show up in some big ways. But God, even if you don't, even if you don't heal the pain, Lord, your will be done. And finally, Lord, I want to pray for those that are far from you that don't know you, those in the room right now that are just looking at church, seeing what this is all about. And Lord, I want to pray for them right now because there could be someone in the room right now that's sitting here that's looking around saying, God, I want to have that power that I, I see these people talk about. They have this ability to enter into suffering and to be okay with it because they know that you're going to use it for your good, God. And if that's you right now, if you're far from God and you don't know Jesus, I want to invite you to pray a prayer with me right now. Lord, I want to follow you. 
I want to trust you. I don't know all the details, Jesus. I'm not quite sure how this whole thing works, but I believe that you're God. I believe that you came for me and that you died for me and that you suffered for me and that you rose again. Lord, I want to turn away from this worldly living and I want to live in a way that honors you and live in a way that pursues you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Be the Lord and the leader and the Savior of my soul. Lord, we prayed a lot of prayers today to you, God. And I pray that everybody right now can sense your presence and know and trust that you're with us in this suffering and this pain. And if you made that decision to follow Jesus Christ today, there's a party happening right now in heaven. This is exciting. We welcome you to the kingdom of the brothers and sisters of Christ here. We're glad that you're here. Lord, we love you and we thank you. In your son's name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Appreciate that. Every single week we have a prayer team that is right over here on the side of the stage, ready to pray with you and for you. And as Ryan talked about, we're there, we're to rejoice with those who rejoice and to mourn with those who mourn and to pray with those who are sick, those who are hurting. And we want to do that, whether it's today or whether it's any other week. Um, I just want to kind of call attention to this faithful prayer team that's over here. Uh, if you're new or newer to the church, I'll be right over underneath this monitor with one of our young adults, pastors, that will be there along with me. And uh, so love to meet you and say hi to you. Let's stand up together. Uh, next week, I get the privilege of talking about slowing down and hearing God. So I want to invite you to come back for that. Bring a friend with you. We'll see you next week. Have a wonderful day.